life's burdens get so heavy and it seems I'm all alone. I cast my care on Jesus and come boldly to his throne. I find his grace sufficient when his promises I heed. For his very life he sacrificed, and he lives to intercede. He is the Lord of lords, and when he speaks, winds and waves obey. When Jesus whispers, peace be still, then darkness turns to day. As I'm trusting in my Savior's word, doubts and fears all cease. And beneath the shelter of his wings, I'm at rest in perfect I will seek for souls in darkness, Calvary's love with them to share. Empowered by his spirit, I will follow anywhere. For I know whatever befall me, my Lord is in control. And as my mind is stayed on him, Perfect peace he gives my soul. He is the Lord of lords, and when he speaks, winds and waves obey. When Jesus whispers, peace be still, then darkness turns to day. As I'm trusting in my Savior's word, doubts and fears shelter of his wings, I'm at rest in perfect peace. I'm at rest in perfect Let's take our Bibles tonight. Turn over to the book of John, chapter 11. You've noticed probably that some of our microphones have been giving us some trouble, and we're going to have to replace all of them. It's not because they're breaking down. It's because the frequencies have been taken over by, um, I don't even know who, really. Just our government basically decides, or somebody makes those decisions, what frequencies are available, what aren't. Unfortunately, our microphones, when we purchased them, were in a frequency that was perfectly fine. And now they're saying that we can no longer use those frequencies. Well, the, the result of that is, is that there's traffic on there and that traffic has a tendency to uh, kind of interfere with the signals that we're getting. We could um, do a couple things. One, we could uh, run some kind of antenna system in here that would cost about $2,000 and that's not guaranteed to work. Or we can spend the $3,000 or so and uh, replace the, five, the four mics that we use for our quartet 
and the one mic that I use. So that's 3,000. They're about 600 apiece. And so, you know, we're going to have to replace all those. But that's a drop in the bucket. It's nothing compared to the roof at 265,000. So I'm feeling pretty good about the mics. Yeah, feeling real good. <laughs> so anyway, you be praying because it's, there's always something. You know how it is, just like your home. Something comes up. You know, you think, oh man, I got this covered. And then you're like a few weeks later, you're a month later, you're like, oh man, you got to be kidding me. This is the worst time ever. Uh, yeah, that's how life goes, isn't it, when it comes to our finances and different things. But anyway, John chapter 11, let's begin John chapter 11, starting in verse 1. This message is supposed to be one message, okay? We'll see how far we get. On Wednesday nights, of course, we're kind of a little more limited on our time, and so we'll see where we get. I, I kind of think we'll get through it, but we'll see. Uh, John chapter 11, verse 1. You'll, you'll recognize this immediately, at least the passage. Now, a certain man was sick named Lazarus. You kind of remember? Yeah, you do. And of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha, verse 2, it was that Mary, which anointed the Lord which, uh, with anointment and wiped his feet with her hair, her, whose uh, brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore, his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, Behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard therefore that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that, saith he to his disciples, Let us go into Judea again. His disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in a day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest in sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Father, we come to you tonight and we ask, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts and that you would just take this simple thought and that you would drive it home in our lives. Help us, Lord, to recognize and realize that it is important uh, to apply this principle most of the time. Father, uh, we need to do exactly what Jesus did for the most part. We understand, Lord, that one must use common sense. And Lord, obviously, we must allow the Spirit of God to direct and lead us. But Father, tonight, help us as we learn a valuable principle that we need to say it plainly. Lord, we'll thank you, we'll praise you in Christ's name. Amen. These disciples didn't get it. They heard what Jesus had said, but they 
didn't understand. It wasn't until Jesus Christ, according to the Scriptures, spoke plainly that they finally got it. Jesus' disciples could, had no idea. They kept thinking, well, if he's sleeping, he's fine. He'll, he'll be all right. And we did tarry for two days. And I'm sure that if he was going to die, the master would have gone earlier. And they had it all mixed up. So instead of leaving the conversation with questions about what he really meant, Jesus simply told them, he's dead. He spoke to them plainly. And so what are we to learn from that tonight? Just real simple thought. Say it plainly. So tonight, I want to just say parents need to speak plainly. Parents need to speak plainly. We live in a day and age when psychologists and sociologists have undermined common sense. While trying Paul... Festus, as you recall in your Sunday school lessons lately, would accuse him by saying, Paul, thou art beside thyself, much learning doth make thee mad. What he was basically accusing him of was being crazy. You're nuts. You're out of your mind, Paul. You've, you've got all this in your head, and it's not making any sense to you or anybody else, obviously. You're out of your mind. It would sure seem to me, however, that much learning hath made these psychologists and sociologists mad or crazy. It seems that way to me. The very thing that the world accused the Apostle Paul of, I think that we can look upon the world and say, much learning hath made thee mad. See, what worked for years and produced well-adjusted and productive members in society is now frowned upon. You know, we're afraid to tell our children no for fear that it's going to negatively affect their psyche. We're hesitant to express our dissatisfaction and disappointment for fear that it'll damage their self-image. We're afraid to demand a particular standard or level of performance because we may be expecting too much out of them, causing them to self-loathe. We're so afraid of hurting their feelings and crushing their spirit that we never conquer their wills and instill and never instill self-discipline. What does it produce? The end result is catastrophe. The end result is a culture and a society that we now can look upon and see the evidence of. It's a society that's weak, wimpy, and worrisome. The byproduct is a generation that cannot receive truth and gets their feelings hurt anytime someone says something to put them in their place or crush their personal reality. And the truth is that not every child is an athlete, nor are they athletic. Not every child is talented as the world views talent, not every child is smart or creative as we judge smart and creative. Not every child is handsome and beautiful. You know what's coming next. <laughs> so I'll just keep it to myself. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, 
has got to be the rule of our action. It's got to rule our actions. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Obviously, we're to be kind and tender-hearted. There's no question about that. But instead of instilling a false sense of worth by trying to a false sense of worth by trying to convince them of how wonderful and how great they are, we instead should be pointing them to the truth and helping them understand that however they were made is exactly how the Creator desired. Psalm chapter 139 verse 14 says, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. And listen, they may not be viewed as praiseworthy in our superficial and performance-based society, but they are fearfully and wonderfully made. And that is what makes them special. That's what makes them unique. God designed them and God delights in them as they are. We work so hard at trying to build our children up to measure up to the world's standard. And the fact is, is that most of the time that's not going to happen. There is no way, I mean, just think about how many young people that play high school football ever really make it to the pros. How many basketball players who are on the hardwood in high school ever get to the NBA? It doesn't happen that often. It is extremely unusual. And yet we almost feel as if we've got to convince our children that, see, you're you're so good at that. You're so wonderful. You're so... We don't always have to do that just to fill them with praise that is really at times not even really true. Sometimes we just got to speak plainly. We don't speak to hurt them. We don't speak to harm them. We don't try to put them down. That's not the goal. But I'm going to tell you this, to just simply elevate our children with, to a false sense of self-worth um, uh, is really, it's not productive. And in the long run, it will cause them to come crashing down. They have been made, fearfully and wonderfully made. You say, but I don't like how I was made. Too bad. It doesn't matter how you thought, what you think. It doesn't matter what I think. I'll tell you one of the things, young people, that you'll learn as you grow older is that it didn't matter what you thought when you were 15, 16, what you would like to be. What matters is what you are and what God made you to be. And pretty soon you'll realize it was a waste of your time trying to get fit into that, that perfect mold that you think is perfection. Man, don't waste your time. The world says, well, you got to look like this, you got to act like that, you got to get this much education, you got to do this and this and this in order to really be elevated and exalted in our culture. My, I'm telling you, young people, don't waste your time trying to live up to that expectation. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You say, but I don't like it. I wish I didn't have to wear glasses. I wish I didn't have such, such a, a big hips. I wish I didn't have a, a, what we used to call in my family a Bertha Bud. Sorry, but you know what? My wife's like, you know what? You ruin every chair in our house. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You got your grandma's. I'm like, what? And so we stand in front of mirrors and we try to wear, you know, 
hugging stuff and things that make us look skinny and we try to do all kinds of things to, you know, just make it happen so we measure up in our own eyes and then in the eyes of others because we want to fit in, right? Hey, you've been fearfully and wonderfully made. Yeah, if you can improve on your looks, do it. If you can improve on your talent, do it. You can improve on your education, do it by all means. But don't try to be something you're not. Don't be so convinced that you have to be what someone else is. That's not how it works. You need to be you. And you need to best be the best you you can be. And parents, we got to be careful that we're not telling them something that's not true, that we're trying to just feed their egos somehow, make them feel good about themselves. Listen, they go out in that world, people aren't going to be so kind. And I know where you live in a day and age where you're not allowed to say anything straight, but the fact is, is that you can't keep people from doing that. So one way or the other, I mean, I used to, my mom was so kind to me, Oh, Mark, you're such a good-looking guy. Oh, Mark, oh, you're so cute. And I'd be like, I don't want to be cute. I want to be hot. You know, I mean, come on. It's this cute stuff. You know what I'm talking about, right, guys? You know how your moms are. Oh, you look so nice. And you're thinking, yeah, well, I wish the girl over there thought the same thing. Somebody's lying to me. You know, you know what I'm talking about, right? I don't know, if ladies, if that works for you or not, but with the guys, I know how it is with moms. Yeah. Remember how it is, too. You know how it is, guys. I mean, you know the guys. I don't know about girls, but I know how the guys are. You know, it's like, if she only knew me. For me if she knew, she'd know what she's missing. You, am I telling the truth or what? You know, I, but anyway. So we're fearfully and wonderfully made. But listen, I'll tell you, parents, we need to speak plainly. Sometimes we're, you know, giving them, I don't know, just flowery stuff, trying to make them feel good. I mean, every kid's the, I'm, I'm great at football. You are? Oh, yeah, I'm talking about Nintendo. That's not real. I'm really strong. Are you? Go pick that. Well, I'm not that strong. Well, I called your bluff then. You know what I'm saying? It's like, come on. I mean, we, we, we want to we wanna help our kids. I'm not saying be mean to them. I'm not telling you to not encourage them and not tell them, you know, if they do a good job at something. But, you know, you're, you're just wonderful. You're the greatest. You're the best at this ever. You know, they get up and sing and, you know, they miss about half the notes. And you say, oh, you did so good. You're so wonderful. You just say, Man, I'll tell you what, it took courage to get up there and sing. You keep at it, God's going to use you if you stay faithful. You know, what's wrong with telling them? You didn't have to tell them how bad they did, but you don't have to go on giving them these, you know, you know what I'm saying? Sometimes we just downright lie to our kids. But let's, sometimes we just need to speak plainly. We need to say, enough's enough, and no. That's a nice one, no. Boy, you bet, that ought to be in your vocabulary as a Christian parent whether the society and the world says it should be or not, it belongs there. Because you know who tells me no all the time? The Holy Spirit. You know who tells me no all the time? God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He tells me no a lot. No, you don't think that. No, you shouldn't be going there. No, you shouldn't do that. And I go, you're right. It's only for my own good. And that's part of maturity. Recognizing that 
the authorities just trying to protect you, not trying to punish you or steal your fun. Anyway, parents need to speak plainly. Jesus spoke plainly. He spoke plainly. Lazarus is dead. When's the last time you spoke that kind of plain? You know what I'm saying? Hey, what about preachers? Preachers need to speak plainly. In John chapter 6, turn there, would you? John chapter 6, verse 46. Again, I, I, I think we need to rule. Uh, you know, Ephesians 4, 32 has got to be the rule of thumb. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. But by the same token, you know, the, the, you know we, got, we just got to be careful. John 6, 46, not that, any man hath seen, uh, not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God, he that hath seen the Father. Uh, he hath seen the Father, excuse me. Verily, verily, I say unto you, verse 47, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. Your father did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now what's really taking place here is Jesus is speaking plainly. He's telling them who he is. John chapter 6, verse 60. Many thereof of his disciples when they had heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? In verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. You know what happened? Jesus spoke plainly. I got to believe a number of people appreciated him speaking plainly. However, there were those that said, man, this is a hard saying. Man, that's rough. This is a difficult thing to swallow, so to speak. And the fact is, is that I don't know if I can keep going. I mean, he's claiming to be. And the Bible tells us that they went back and walked no more with him. Now, Jesus spoke plainly on a number of occasions. He wasn't unkind, necessarily. He was straightforward. And throughout history, folks have struggled taking it plainly. Now, you got to know, you got to have some wisdom. Obviously, you can't just go half-cocked and start telling everybody what you think and why you think it, and you don't just run around and, and level people and cut them off at the knees. You don't do that. But you got to be straightforward, too, like Jesus was. And many times we're so careful not to hurt someone's feelings and not to, not to really grate them that we don't even give them the truth at times. And again, throughout history, folks have struggled taking it plainly. Now, no one really likes being told that they're wrong. I mean, none of us enjoy that. But sometimes that's exactly what we need, right? It's important. And may I say that that's one reason why, parents, you need to speak plainly to your kids because there are times you just need to say, no, that's wrong. We don't do that. No. We don't tolerate that in this home. We don't tolerate that. In our, in our life. We don't put that, we don't allow that to take place. That's, that's wrong. And you're wrong. 
in what you said or what you did. Sometimes you got to speak plainly. And that'll help them down the road when the boss comes up and says, no, that's not what I said and that's not what I want. What I want is this. And they'll go, they won't go, <laughs> I don't know if I can take it. He's attacking me. Can you imagine? Hey, that's our culture today. We can't keep employees at work and, and in the office because people, you should hear how she talked to me. You should hear how he talked to me. Well, what do you mean? They just told you you were wrong and they don't want you to do it that way anymore. I know, but don't they know I'm a person and, I, I, and what I think matters too? My mommy and daddy always told me that I was great. Okay. I'm <laughs> just throwing it out there. I'm just throwing it out there. Preachers have got to speak the truth, and we can't afford to sugarcoat the truth, or the truth will be lost in the process. You know, if all we ever get is sugar in our diet, then all we're going to end up in the end, all we're going to end up with in the end is rot and inflammation. And that's what sugar brings, right? Your teeth rot, and you get inflammation in your body. That's, that's, what, I'm, that's what my wife tells me. You, don't, you never heard that. Talk to my wife. She'll help you with that. That inflammation's not good. I can't, every time I think of that, I think of a swollen head. I think about, we get prideful and arrogant sometimes. When we don't get told the truth, we're going to get arrogant. We're going to get prideful. We're going to start thinking we're something we're not. We need told the truth from time to time. We need it told to us straight. It helps us in the end. Oh yeah, again, be kind one to another, tender-hearted. I keep saying that because I know this will be misunderstood, even though I say it ten times. Someone's going to leave and say, man, I just don't know. I think preachers just, that's, that's, that would be mean. You're being mean when you do that. No, you're not, you're not being mean. You're preparing people for life. These youngsters need to be told things. They need to know things. They shouldn't be just swept under the, the carpet. We need to be straight and honest with one another. Someone goes out and you hire somebody to do a job at your house and say to fix your siding and I'm going to put brand new siding on your house and, and this is what we're going to do and we're going to clean it all up and at the end and then, we're going to, then we'll bill you and once you see the job's complete and then you pay us and we'll be happy. So give us 30% down, give us the 70% at the end of the job when it's done according to the standard that we've outlined. You get to the end of the job, nothing's been cleaned up around the house, you got a couple pieces of siding that are sticking out, they don't look right, they're not fitting properly. You just write the check for 70 cents and say, man, this is a great job. It looks so good. You did a great job. Thank you so much. You don't do that, do you? How come we're teaching our kids that's how everyone should respond to them then? See, in real life, you say, hey, whoa, 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 wait a second. You said you were going to clean everything up when you were finished. And by the way, over here on the corner, look at that. That's not even right. That doesn't look good. That's going to come off, I can tell already. Can you fix that? And I see there might be a problem over here. Matter of fact, that's all crooked, that siding. It's supposed to be even. Shouldn't I be able to put a level on it and it be fairly level? Well, I know, but my parents told me that I do good work. You would be like, I don't care what your parents said. What I'm telling you right now, I'm telling it to you. I'm giving it to you straight because that's not straight. You know, you, that, in real life, there are times we have to speak plainly. 
And we don't have to be mean about it. He can just be, I mean, look at that. Nothing, you're being kind of mean and, 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 and your expectations are way too high. Well, all I know is what you told me you were going to do, I'm just holding you to your word. I mean, you're not putting up with that. And you know what? Sadly enough, we're so worried about hurting everybody's feelings sometimes that we have come to the place where we never speak plainly. Jesus spoke plainly. Lazarus is dead. Huh? What? Lazarus is dead? Wow. Preachers have got to speak plainly. We had Tony Hudson in a number of years ago. He's going to be with us at our men's conference again this year. Coming up next year, actually, I should say. And when he was with us, he would say this. He'd say, give it to me straight. Give it to me straight. But let's be honest. Most of us can't take it straight anymore. If you ever have a colonoscopy, those are fun. They have you drink this liquid, and it cleans you out really good. You have to drink eight ounces, at least when I did mine. It was eight ounces, eight times, in like about 20 minutes, it seemed like. Now, it wasn't quite that. It was longer than that, like over a couple, two and a half hours. But, but I'll tell you what, it, you were busy. You can drink it straight. You can drink that stuff straight if you want. But you know what? The taste is not that appealing. So you know what you do? You mix it with some Gatorade. You mix it with Gatorade. And you know what? It goes down a lot easier when you mix it with a little sugar. Because that's what Gatorade is. There's a sugar in it. You know, it's, it's sugary and it tastes really good compared to that stuff. And so when it comes to colonoscopies, I'm glad when you can add a little sugar to make the medicine go down. Right? It reminds me of a song. But when it comes to the Bible, when it comes to truth and life, most often we're better off taking it straight or plain. Let's not be so sensitive. Let's not be so afraid of the truth or unwilling to accept the truth. Let's just, let's just Say to ourselves, I want it straight. Whether it's from the preacher, whether it's from my husband, my wife, whether it's from my parents, I want to know the truth. I just, just tell me, give it to me straight. I want to know. I, I'd much rather just know what people think and where they're at than to have to try to guess all the time. I don't know about you, I just would rather know it. You don't like me? Tell me, I don't care. I'd rather know where you stand instead of you going, when my back's turned. You know what I'm saying? I'd rather know where you stand. You say, I don't like something, or I don't like this. Okay, so be it. If it's something you can't live with and deal with, then you just need to give it to me straight. And that's how it ought to be in our lives. We need to be able to take that. Just because somebody doesn't agree with us doesn't mean it's a personal attack. 
because they don't believe the way we believe or think the way we think. It's not like they're mad at us or angry at us, I hope. Finally, let me give you this last one. People, in general, just need to speak plainly. Parents need to speak plainly. Pastors need to speak plainly. But just people, in general, we need to speak plainly. And again, most wear their feelings on their sleeves today. It's, it's really true. Even some that say, oh, I don't. You know, here's the big one. Here's the one I like a lot. I'm so humble. And then the first time somebody looks at you cross-eyed, you're offended. Yeah, you're so humble that you get offended because you think you deserve better. Ouch. Ow. That's a reality, by the way. It happens all the time. It's funny that we're so spiritual that everything offends us. We're so spiritual that everything offends us. Spirituality and sensitivity, I don't think, really are supposed to go hand in hand when it comes to that area. When it comes to the Holy Spirit, yes. But we ought to be able to accept some things because, first of all, we don't think we deserve anything except hell. So how is it that we who deserve only hell and believe that think that everybody else owes us more? And that's why we get so offended all the time because, really, we feel entitled we too have been infected by our culture and our society and by the teachings that have permeated our system. Again, we're raising a generation and we're even becoming a generation that's conditioning ourselves to hypersensitivity. We melt down when confronted with criticism. We fall apart when facing failure and we get offended when we're told that we're wrong or doing it wrong. I, I am so, I get so burdened for our young people when I watch young people. They, they break up with a boyfriend or girlfriend and they think their whole life is over and they want to end it. I'm going to be frank with you. When I grew up, that was the last thing we thought about. We thought, good riddance. You just lost the prize. And now we act as though we lost the prize. You get where I'm going with this? I'm not saying that you shouldn't have feelings. I get that, especially if you're really, you know, been with them for five or six years. And you're 30 years old. And you're supposed to be getting married next week. But honestly, four weeks into the relationship, the guy says he likes somebody else, and we think it's time to end our life. This is the kind of weakness that is being instilled in our young people because of a lack of speaking plainly. Jesus knew what these disciples needed, and you know what? I think he knows what we need, too. Again, be kind one to another, tenderhearted. Do you know what? I, I'll, I'll tell you this. If some parent comes to me for advice and they say, you know, my teenager, it seems like they are like a drama queen. He's always in drama. She's always in drama. What do I do? Well, first of all, you need to be careful because if they have problems, those are big problems to them. You need to address them as problems. Don't just always throw them off. Ah, it's nothing. You ought to be lucky you didn't live in my day. We had to walk two miles uphill both ways in the snow two feet deep. You know, that, that's, that's not how you handle that, right? 
you know, we try to talk to them. We try to get in their head a little bit. We help them understand we care. But there comes a point where you do have to talk a little plainly too. But be kind, yes. But let's be careful. People need to speak plainly. The truth is that, I mean, let's face it, confrontation, confrontation is not fun. Do you realize there is no way you can be a successful pastor unless you're confrontational? You can't be a good boss unless you're confrontational in the end. There's, at times, you just have to confront people. You can't just let people do whatever they want in your business and think it's going to go fine. Oh, that, you don't want to do it the way we designed it and the way the processes are supposed to go? Oh, I see how it is. Oh, yeah, we're all running off of a script here on the telephones, but you're going to do it your way. Oh, that's cool. You can do it your way. That doesn't matter. It's all right. Oh, hey, you're a new doc. You just joined our team. That's cool. You know what? We do certain surgeries. It's called brain surgery. And we follow, a, 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 we do things a certain way because it's the best way to do it. And we found that people actually live after you get done with the surgery. Well, I got a new thing. I use a hatchet to open up the cranium. I don't think so. You don't get to do things your way. You got to do them the way they work. And if the boss says this is how you do it, that's how you do it. You've got to be confrontational. Moms and dads, you have to be confrontational. There's no way you're going to get through all of your teen years and all the children's years without being confrontational. You have to be confrontational. Hold on. The thing is, is that there's nothing fun about confrontation, at least not for me. Some people like it. I went to Mexico for the first time years and years ago. You know what they love to do in Mexico? They barter. They like, man, they like to just, you know, I walked up, I remember I said, how much for the blanket? He's like, and I said, how, how much? And he told me how much, and somebody behind me said, that's not bad. And I went, okay, here you go. And he's like, huh? What? He was offended because I wasn't willing to go, no, I ain't giving you that much. But I'm thinking, it's worth that to me. I'll pay that much. It's worth it. That's a nice looking blanket. And they were offended because I wouldn't barter with them. And finally, someone said, you have to barter or they're going to be offended. That's the problem. And I was like, seriously? I can do that and not feel bad about it? No, they want you to do that. And so even then I was having a hard time because I hate confrontation. You say, oh, you've got to, you know, there's no way. Oh, yes, I despise it. I hate it. That's why my wife gets along so well with me because I never confront her. I let her do whatever she wants, anytime she wants. She is a perfect wife. You know she is. To have to live with me? She's not in here, I'm saying those things. Isn't that great? But anyway, she is a perfect, she's a wonderful wife, but here's the truth. I don't care who's the husband, who's a wife. Sometimes you got to confront each other. Sometimes you just got to talk, you know, say it plainly, right? You just got to do it. And you know what? However comfortable it is, it can be very productive. Most couples end up in divorce because they weren't speaking plainly to each other. Because they couldn't communicate. You say, what's communicating? It's talking plain. It's saying what's on your heart. It's being open about things. It's not being mean and nasty. It's not being like, you know, my grandma used to make a big deal of, you know, I just tell them like it is. I tell them however I feel. Well, I understand that, but let's be honest. You can't do that either. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted. we got to follow the commands in Scripture, but we do have to be honest with our feelings and, you know, the people that we're 
addressing and dealing with because many times we're holding it in and it's only going to make it worse. We just might as well speak plainly. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. How do you get a wound? Confrontation. But faithful are those wounds. Now, again, when they're done with the right motivation. And sometimes when it's coming our way, we don't think they're right motives. But if they love us and they care about us, I'm sure they're doing it because they think that's what's in our best interest. Let's try to accept it and take it and let God use it in our lives. So be careful you don't wear your feelings on your sleeves. And when we get a view of God and how he sees us, that vantage point will provide you with a sense of humility. And that humility will afford you great openness to the truth and a willingness to receive instruction and criticism. Find your worth and your value in Christ. And when you're confronted with truth or criticism in your life, you're going to be able to take it and even learn from it. Because you're not basing your value on how people see you. The Creator gives you value because He made you the way you are. That's what I say. This idea that we have to live up to everyone's expectations is not true. You are valuable because He made you the way you are. You're unique. You're special. You're different. You say, I wish I was different, all right. No, you are yourself. Be yourself. Let God use you the way you are. Well, in Matthew 18, 15, as we close, I want you to realize that there are times when someone may have sinned against you. Or at least you feel like they've sinned against you. They may not have sinned against you, but you may feel like they sinned against you. How are you and I to handle that according to the scriptures? We're to speak plainly. In Matthew 18, 15, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. Go and tell him his fault between him and thee alone. First of all, you don't do it in a big room in front of everybody. You go to them as a person, an individual, and say, listen, you've hurt me, or you've you've sinned against me, or you've done something that was unethical or, or illegal even. And you approach them, you talk to them about that. You say, well, what if they don't think that they, I di- they did anything to me. Well, that's, that's fine. I mean, sometimes maybe they didn't do what you thought they did. You might have concocted it in your own mind. I know they were talking about me. Why? Because when they were over there together, that, she looked at me and I could tell she was talking about me to all of them. How do you know that, though? Why do I just know. I know. Do you? Okay. Let's be honest with one another. Not unkind, not inconsiderate, but honest. Let's speak plainly. I don't have time to talk to you about the results of speaking plainly, but let me just say this. Clarity is one of the things that will come when we speak plainly. Just like with Jesus, when he said, Lazarus is dead, there was no question what he meant. There was no question what was taking place. Clarity was a result of speaking plainly. Number two, conviction is a result of speaking plainly. In the book of Psalm 51, we see that Nathan the prophet had spoke very clearly to David and David without question was under conviction because of that plain speech. Confession is something that comes out of 
speaking plainly. Confession. We see that in David's life again in Psalm 51. And then we see the change that was wrought and as, as a result of that speaking plainly as the, the, the prophet Nathan, uh, Nathan the prophet says, he said, thou art the man. And, and he's like, wow. Okay, we see clarity. We see conviction. We see confession and ultimately change because of speaking plainly. Those are things we need. And it's something that God wants for us. But the balance, again, is let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Salt makes everything taste better. You know what? We need to season our speech with salt. We do not want to be offensive to be offensive, but we need to say it plainly. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for all that you do for us. And Lord, again, we, uh, we understand that something like this could be misunderstood, that somebody could run with this and say, man, I'm just going to start laying into people. That's not at all what the intention was, Lord, and you know my heart. Lord, help us to be very kind and tenderhearted, to truly want to do our best to just allow a little sugar to help the medicine go down, but by the same token, to say it plainly at times. There's times it really just has to be said plainly. Lord, we need you now to give us wisdom of when those times are and how to say it in a way that will honor you. But Lord, help us to say it plainly. Every parent to say it plainly. Every pastor to say it plainly. Every person to say it plainly. We'll thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand. Every head bowed.